All right, so good morning uh, for those who have joined us via the live stream. And uh, again, good morning for the third time, those who are joining us here. Uh, I welcome you to the uh, adult Sunday school class this morning. My name is Dominic, I'm one of the elders here. And um, I'm happy that we get to have this time to study God's word together. Uh, but before we do that, let me ask that we turn to the Lord in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for giving us this time to uh, study the truths from your word. We ask you and we even plead, O oh Lord, that you would teach us. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for uh, those things that we have allowed to filter into our lives that do not glorify you and do not help us to grow in the faith. And we even pray as we study regarding the teaching of temptation that we would be made to be watchful, but to also run to the cross uh, whenever we are tempted and even when we do fall. So bless our time together, dear Lord, for we pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, yes? Is it on? Okay. So, uh, you can help me with the PowerPoint. Um, so, as they are working on the PowerPoint, sorry for those who uh, are at home. Uh, so, those who are here, you, you are not able to see the PowerPoint. But, um, so the teaching, as I alluded in my prayer, is we're going to be looking at the teaching of, or the doctrine of temptation. Okay, so the doctrine of temptation. And before I start, if I can just ask you, um, why do you think it's important for us to learn about temptation? What do you think is so important or significant about temptation such that we need to study it? Is it something that is there in the Bible? Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why we, we should study? Mm -hmm. Being careful, eh? All right. Um, <clears throat> let me give maybe two, two very important reasons why we study uh, or we ought to know about temptation. First of all, the Bible, or actually it's three reasons. First of all is the fact that it's there in the Bible, right? Do we see temptations in the Bible? They are there, isn't it? Uh, so the fact that it is something that is laid out in the Bible, we, it's important that we study it, all right? That's the first reason. But then secondly, it is the reality that we are tempted. Temptations are not only in the Bible, but you and I are tempted every day. Perhaps you are tempted this morning as you are coming to church. Perhaps you are being tempted right now. Right? There are thoughts that are tempting you. There are, you know, you're being 
tempted to a certain emotion or a certain attitude, or you're being tempted uh, to ignore the word of God, we are always being tempted. Temptation is part of our life. Thank you. Can I have the clicker? So temptation is part of our lives. But then another reason why it's important that we study temptation is that temptation or the doctrine of temptation is one of the temptation, uh, the, one of the doctrines that we see coming out um, as the Bible opens up. In the first three chapters of the Bible, we see temptation coming up. Right? In Genesis 3, when our first parents are tempted to sin. So before we even see the doctrine of... Uh, thank you. Thanks. Before we see the doctrine of um, the church, for example, before we see the doctrine of even salvation, before we see all these other doctrines, one of the doctrines that pops out for us to see is the doctrine of temptation. And we see this in Genesis 3. So those are good reasons, or I hope those are convincing reasons why we need to study this. And the point isn't simply that we study it for our own head knowledge, but so that we may be able to live lives that please God, so that we may be able to um, overcome temptation. And even when we are overcome by temptation, we may be able to know how to deal with temptation. All right? All right, so in the introduction of, uh, so there it is, the doctrine of temptation. So here's a question. Um, what does it mean when we say the word temptation or to be tempted? It's important that we do a word study. It's always good. Whenever you, whenever you are debating, whenever you are doing a study, to always define words. Because I could be talking about temptation, and we are not saying the same thing. There are times like that, isn't it? When you're saying one, uh, we have one word, but we are all understanding it differently. So it's very important that we start by defining what we are talking about or what we'll be looking at this um, month, Lord willing. So what is temptation? For us to understand what temptation is, as I have put there in the PowerPoint, uh, uh, the key word to help us in answering this question is the Greek word perasmos. I hope I've pronounced it well, or perasmos. Uh, so this word, perasmos, is a Greek word that has two meanings. So look at this. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Just open your Bibles to James chapter 1 and keep them there. Keep your finger there in James chapter 1. <clears throat> so in James chapter 1, we have this word, 
Perasmus appearing. And in chapter 1, we actually see the two meanings of this word being applied. So, if you look at verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 1. Is it verse 1? Let me see. Um, this should actually be verse 2. Um, let me see. Okay. All right. So I've gotten this mixed up. Eh? So this one, trials should be not sinful desires. Apologies for that. Trials should be the... Um, they should be the hardships. So it should be the adversities. I should have changed that on the PowerPoint. Maybe you can change it. Eh? Uh, it should be the adversities, the afflictions, or the troubles sent by God, serving to test and prove one's character, faith, and holiness. So uh, that's the first meaning. Look at verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2. That's the first meaning. So it could mean trials, afflictions, troubles that prove our faith. So in the first meaning, it is not negative. Are we together? The first meaning of the word Rasmus is not negative. It's actually positive. It's good. When we are persecuted, what does Christ tell us to do when we are persecuted? We should do what? We should, we should rejoice, isn't it? So trials are good. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various, when you, when you meet perasmos of various kinds. All right? It's only that the English does not give us that reality. It's actually one word. All right? So, when you meet various perasmos of various kinds, why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfected and complete, lacking in nothing. So, the first interpretation of Perasmus is good, positive. It means we are being tested. We are being purified. We um, are being sharpened. So that's the first meaning of that word. But then the second meaning, which is what we're going to be looking at, um, or what we're going to be focusing on, uh, the next couple of Sundays is the second meaning. Th thank you, brother. Thank you. You can, ah, wonderful. So positive, testing our faith. Um, then second, the second interpretation or meaning of this same word are temptations. Now, these are negative. So this is positive. Perasmus here is positive in verse, in verse 2. Perasmus is negative in verses 13 and 14. Look at what 
James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, Let no one say when he is perasmus, if I can put it that way, I am being perasmus by God. For God cannot be perasmus by evil, and he himself perasmuses no one. <laughs> right? I almost feel like I'm about to speak low, right? In a sound. <laughs> Uh, you know, so there you have it. So James is saying that in the first instance where we are tempted, if I can put it that way, it is for our good. But that same Greek word can be used now here negatively to show something that is evil. What is that? So the second meaning is that which is uh, those sinful desires. The sinful desires that entice us to unbelief and to act in a manner that compromises our holiness, right? As we see in James chapter 1 verses 13 to 14. Now we shall be doing a study of this second view or look at this one. So we need to ask ourselves, um, for example, when we see in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Now, I will leave it to you, okay, for your own discussion. Lead us not into temptation. Are we talking about the first meaning? Or are we talking about the second meaning? What do you think? Sorry? The second meaning. Okay, why would you say the second one? Okay. Yes, it would be contradicting what James is saying, all right? Um, all right, yes. Someone else? Lead us not into temptation. Because I know there are two views of looking at that. He's given us the first one that um, God will lead us into this. That's what you mean, brother, isn't it? Trials. God will lead us into trials. Sorry? He will allow trials for our own good. But then he does not allow this. This, this is damaging. Right? Okay. Thank you. Someone else? Have you ever thought about that? What, which one? Which of the word Pyrasmus are we normally talking about? Or do I give you time to let it settle down? Okay, let me, let me give you time. He's given one which is very important. Think about it, all right? Lead us not into temptations. Is it trials or is it temptations? Because it's the same Greek word, all right? So, um, having looked at that, the fact that this word can either be used for positively, where we are tried, where we are tested, where we are proved, right? Where we are improved, where we are sanctified, as in trials, there is the other interpretation which we're going to be looking at, which is negative. To be compromised in your holiness, to be made to fall 
away. So let us do an, a study, uh, what I like to call the anatomy of temptation. You know, in a, in, for those who've done uh, any biology, um, biology lesson, you know about anatomy, right? Anatomy is where we get to dissect something, isn't it? We get to see <clears throat> the structures of a certain animal or a certain creature, isn't it? Right, so let's see whether, now this is just me, okay, there could be other ways of dissecting it, but I just thought let's dissect temptations uh, and see how it comes. Uh, sorry, not how it comes, um, how it is structured. And to help us with this, we will look at uh, James 1.14 and then Genesis 3.6-7. So uh, let's turn first of all to Genesis. Genesis 3, verse 6 to 7. Um, actually, let's just read from verse 1 to, 1 to 7. So, uh, volunteers, who will read verse 1? Uh, So that you have a mic. Maybe they could even, or one person, maybe someone reads three verses, another one reads four verses. So you'll read the, the first three, and then who will read the next ones after that? Okay, Esther Wiga will do it. Eh? Okay, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But Thank the serpent you. said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves big plots. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, then keep your finger in Genesis 3. Let's turn to, again, back to James, chapter 1 again. James chapter 1, who will volunteer to read? James chapter 1, verse 4. Yes, Emma will do it. Thank you, Emma. <clears throat> uh, yes, verse 14, not 4, sorry, 14. 
but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So turn back again to Genesis. So uh, here we have God's word expounding to us as to the reality of temptation. Now, like I said in the beginning when I introduced my topic, is that it's important that we study temptation. There are actually good books that have been written by um, a number of people on, on temptations. Like there is one that Pastor Murungi covered called the Precious Remedies Against, uh, is it, Pastor Eric, is it Satan devices? Satan's devices? Yes, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's one of the books I will highly recommend as we, or rather I hope to stir you up to read that book as we go through this uh, lesson. So temptation or temptations are there. The doctrine of temptations pops up very early in the Bible. Before any other doctrine, we see the doctrine of temptation. Now it doesn't mean that it is important than other doctrines. It shows how central it is if you do not understand how you are tempted how we as a church are tempted then we will not be watchful that's the underlining reality if um <clears throat> modern armies and even uh, armies uh, back then armies invest a lot to know how the enemy works. Not simply the weapons of the enemy. They want to know how the enemy will work. For example, there is a lot of uh, uh, espionage. Sorry. There is a lot of espionage where you find, for example, one country, not necessarily even wanting to know the weapons that this other country has, but what tactics will they use if we ever go to war? How do they organize their armies? Which, uh, which um, if we can say this, which army group or which army division will come first? When you have that information, it is easier for you to fight a war. Armies invest billions and millions to get information. How do these people fight? Who goes first? Who goes where? Which, which weapons do they use first? It's very important. And for, even for us in our spiritual warfare, we need to know the same thing. How does the devil use this tool, this instrument called temptation, pay Rasmus to capture us and to cause us to fall away or to compromise our holiness? It is very important that we study this. And I think in Genesis and in James, we will see this. And notice that in both, uh, both chapters, there is one word that is, uh, comes up. Which word is that? There is one word that comes up. Have you noticed? There is one word in common between Genesis and James. Just, someone said it at the back. Desire, isn't it? Did you see that? 
right? The woman, so that the tree is to be desired. And then in James, James says what? What is the key thing in temptation? Desire. And when he's talking about desire here, he's not simply meaning the, the desire of, um, you know, I really desire to get home by four. It's not that kind of a desire. It is not the desire that I desire to get married. Not necessarily that. It is a sinful desire. It is an evil desire. It is a desire that goes against God's revealed will. That goes against our own conscience as uh, is uh, revealed in the scriptures or as guided by the scriptures. So I decided to do it in, uh, uh, to use, oh sorry, to use this chart in a sense to help us. So we see that firstly, what happens? That the woman, we are told that there is, the woman saw that the tree was to be desired. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes and that it was to be desired to make one wise. So this is the starting point of temptation. That trigger for sin. Now, trigger again, um, a trigger needs to be pulled for it to work. It's there. It's there. Now, temptation, as we shall see, uh, temptation is not necessarily sin. To be tempted is not sin. We shall look at that. That's a trigger. It's a trigger that is there. It is for you to do what? To, for you to, to squeeze it, isn't it? That's always the starting point. You, like the woman, you see. You perceive, you think about it. You know, she didn't just go and pluck it. She didn't just go and pluck the, the, the fruit from the tree. She looked at it. And if you see the way that the writer of Genesis writes, it's a progression of thought. It is a lingering of thought. It is you staying there for a while and thinking about it. And look at even our own temptations. Isn't that how we are tempted? Right? You see. And then you think. And then you think more about it. Oh, it is good for food. It is actually, I need this. It's beneficial. It is able to make one wise trouble. You are getting your hand on the gun. You are getting your finger on the trigger. And the next thing, if you are not careful, is to squeeze it. The excitement of our desires. When we allow our desires to simply control us and to have their way, 
and to linger and to run around our minds and to run around our hearts, trouble. This always is the first instance of sin or of temptation rather, that trigger. Uh, but then after that, we see that he falls. She acts on her desires. So her desires are excited. But now, as James puts it, there is the desire. And then that desire gives birth to sin. So she squeezes the trigger and bam, sin comes out. No going back. You know, like a bullet, once you squeeze it, it's out. You won't say, oops, I'm sorry, please come back, bullet, come back, or bullet, go sideways. You've squeezed the trigger, you have squeezed it. It's out. Bam. Now she takes it. Her desires, notice this, starts where? In the heart, in the thoughts, before her hand moves. Before her hand moves. Actually, there are... Um, my, my, my chart has a weakness. Many people would say sin actually happens somewhere in between here. Before she even acts, there is something that has happened. The, yes, please, you can help him with a mic. Yes, please feel free to comment, to uh, ask a question as we go on. Yes, brother. We need to realize that uh, as far as Eve was concerned before mm. this moment, her desires were, were, were pure because mm. from creation she was uh, without sin, mm -hmm. without those desires. But it would appear as if the, after entertaining the conversation with the, with the devil, mm. then her desires, that, that syndrome of evil was sown into her. Yeah. Because desiring to make, to be wise, is desiring to be like God. Mm -hmm. And so that is when evil entered into her. Or mm. others, like the ones James is referring to, we already find ourselves born in sin. Yeah, born yeah. in sin. Yeah. So temptation comes and uh, starts that design in that mm. sinful desire. But mm. for Eve, there wasn't any sinful desire before. Yes. Yes, thank you for that. Yes. So here's a perfect, we can, uh, a being that has been created without sin. And there is a lot of uh, ink that has been poured on this matter. I mean, how is it that Adam and Eve were pure and yet they were tempted to sin? Now, there are many books about that. I will, I will not try and get into that. But we, do, we, we, we see that reality. What Brother Mukede is saying is that that reality comes where at a certain point, now, maybe you should, one of you should write your own books, isn't it, and tell us where exactly that happens, that this happened, that they, were, they had good desires. 
But then suddenly she sees, she desires that which she was told not to take, not to her. And remember, in all this, where is her husband? Is he somewhere at work? He is standing next to her. So they are together in this. It's not just, it's, yes, Eve is the one who sinned first, but Adam is there. He allows himself to go on with this. All right? So that's a whole now um, very difficult thing that many theologians have poured a lot of ink to try and, uh, um, and answer. Where did this, where is the point? It's like the fall of the devil. We are told that, and sin was found in him. Where did that sin come from? A big question that I will not answer you here. It's very difficult. But there are men who uh, have studied the Bible more than me who are uh, more capable in answering that. Anyway, so this happens. So she acts on it. It gives birth. Those desires give birth to an action. They give birth to uh, an attitude. They give birth to words. They give birth to whatever form of sin comes. We are told she took. So her hand was stretched out. And we need to know this, by the way. Oftentimes, we have actually fallen into unbelief before we even see the action. Before someone even does the sinful action, sin had already been birthed in their hearts. The action is simply, um, how can I put it? The action is simply to show what has happened, what is inside. This is what is inside. She acts. She took of it, of its fruit, and she ate. A very deliberate action. Uh, an action that she wasn't an innocent bystander. She wasn't um, just there finding herself, picking a tree. You know how you can just walk into a vineyard and then pick a, a fruit without knowing? This is not that. It is deliberate. She knew what she was doing. And that's the... That's... The reality about sin, you are deliberate. You know what you are doing. You act on what you're doing. This goes against modern psychology because modern psychology tells you uh, the reason why you did what you did is because of your... What are some of the reasons you see modern psychology giving us reasons why people commit sin? They say what? What have you had, for example? What are some of the excuses that people give? Not even in modern psychology, even, even in false religion. What do we see people say? Huh? Yes, they know. 
I think one that comes to mind is uh, branding everything as the spirit of so-and-so, spirit of uh, adult okay. that came upon you. Yes, yes. That, yeah, that's a big one in, uh, uh, you know, let me call it false religion, where you blame someone else, isn't it? The reason why I keep on falling into this sin, it's because of the demon of this and that, and I need to go for a deliverance class for the demon causing the sin to come out. No. You are the one pulling out your hand. You are the one taking it. You are the one eating it. It's a deliberate action. Right? Another thing that we see, especially in modern psychology, is what they would say. Now, it is because of their upbringing, isn't it? You've heard a lot about that. The environment. Now, I'm not saying that environment does not uh, affect um, or does not affect how certain sins are enticed or excited. But when you sin, it is your actions. It is you who did what you did deliberately. It is you doing it. Take ownership. This is what we see. But then, it develops further, as James puts it. Now, I've tried to do, uh, to, to, to um, take James and Genesis and uh, just have a nice, slice them in a nice way. So maybe it will not fit perfectly. Maybe one of you might come up with a better graph, but this is simply mine. Eh? And I, I, I thought of this. So the woman saw enticement. She took what James calls the birth of sin. And then the sin matures. The sin grows. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So I've called it there, for the lack of a better word, comfort in sin or ease in sin. Now, I, looking at doing a, just a quick study, looking at sin or how temptation works and how temptation leads to sin and sin matures, as James says, those steps, there is a place where we are comfortable or someone becomes comfortable in sin. Where someone sins, not only sin, sins one action, but then in that one action, they continue in it, or uh, they are at ease, comfortable, relaxing in it. Is there a place where we see the Bible talking about this, the fact that people can be uh, comfortable in sin? Is there a verse that comes to your mind or a person, um, a situation, an event in the Bible where we see that? 
people not only sinning, but comfortably in sin. Yes. Yes. You, maybe just wait for the mic. Uh -huh. Yes. Now, Jaribu, so perfect. Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul and Asema, uh, and then God can give them up. Jikaman is a better idea. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Actually, that was the verse in my, the, the, the passage in my, my mind, uh, Romans 1. Thank you so much. Um, let me see whether, what words are exactly used. So in Romans 1, um, Yeah, so I'm thinking of Romans 1, 20, 28, and even 32, right? So, and since they did not see, uh, did not see, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then look at verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they do what? But give approval to those who practice them. So uh, Romans chapter 1 is very good in showing how um, the decline of humanity in sin or the hardness of humanity in sin. And notice there gets to be a place where someone is not only caught up in sin, but they not only participate or not, not only act in sin, but they do what? They go further. They approve of others. They excite others. They tell others, join me in sin. Come, follow me. Nothing happened. You saw that. You saw me, I, I ate of the tree, nothing happened. Come on, let's do this. If, doesn't it happen in our office places? Hey, look, man, I, I took a bribe. I got an envelope yesterday, an envelope containing 300K in just one hour, one hour. You see, all these challenges, these problems you are having, that fundraiser you are having, if you just get that envelope also, guess what? They solve your problem. You have a person here who is comfortable in sin. They are at ease in sin. Sin has actually now matured. They... It's going into uh, graduate, is it a PhD now? It's not graduate, sorry. It's, it's now going into a PhD. You are now able to teach others. You have the powers now not only to read, but to teach others in sin. When we, someone gets to this stage. Anyone in the Bible, any character in the Bible, maybe to help us with this? Anyone, any thought? Yes, okay. The kings of Israel, okay, general but very true, isn't it? We see the kings of Israel do that, uh, where they 
they not only rebel against God, but they make the people to rebel against God. Right? An example of that is one specific king of Israel. Give me a name. One famous one who is mentioned over and over. De okay, David. There is one, yeah? Yeah. Ahab. Okay, Ahab. Yes, thanks. What does Ahab do? <laughs> it wasn't your answer. Eh? <laughs> I've, I've caught someone. Eh? <laughs> he leads the people of Israel astray by allowing idol worship. Idol worship, isn't it? Yes. yes. He actually, he's actually the one who brings those for the, the the prophets that Jezebel brings, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you see that that's someone who is comfortable. Sin has matured. They now want other people to participate. They don't even hide it. Someone else had had someone else. Uh, someone different. Jeroboam. Thanks, Mike. Read read the book of First Kings. If you read the book of First Kings, you will realize how much Jeroboam is a stench before God. You keep on hearing this phrase, and he made the people sin in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. He's actually given all the names, including his father, so that you don't confuse him with any other Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And again, you read, you read, and then you realize, and he caused the people to sin in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And then you read, and you read, and you're reading your Bible, you're just doing your own devotion, and then you realize another line. And he caused the people to sin, like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's a very dangerous place to be in. And it's so easy, by the way. It's so easy. Just pull that trigger once. And we think, ah, I'll only act in sin and then I'll, I'll, let me just do that sin and then I will run away. Sin is like a trap. It catches you. Temptation. Uh, um, there's this, there's this uh, um, mouse trap sold here at Kamindis, around 70 bob. Very good. I've used it. Very effective. Eh? I'll, I'll, I'll advertise them for free. Eh? So it's, it's, it's uh, something like a book. It's like a book, and you, you open it, and it, it is very sticky on the inside. Very, very sticky. Don't know whether you've ever seen it. If you have a mouse problem, um, go and look for this one. Eh? <laughs> so it's very sticky. What you do, you just open it and you put some food there in the middle. Put it somewhere where a mouse will pass. And guess what? As the mouse tries to approach the food, its hand is stuck. Guess what? The next move it tries to do is to get itself off using the other leg. And then it uses the other back legs. And within no time, that thing will be seated there until morning when you just come and pick it up and throw it in the dust. Very wonderful thing. That's what temptation is. It's this open trap. You just think it's one action. I'll just do this thing once and pull out. I'm, 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 I'm very good at it. 
very dangerous. You get yourself stuck, you get yourself stuck. And some people have gotten here, sadly. Many people, godly people, have gotten themselves here. Haven't we heard of pastors who have committed great sin and have fallen into sin with other people, preying on people in the church? I, I remember uh, one time we were going for the meeting forum at, um, at a certain place and uh, we, we had a number of brothers from the UK and they were saying how there used to be a preacher who used to come from the States to Kenya, very godly man, uh, reformed man. He would come for conferences here in Kenya way back in the 80s. And they were saying that this man was eloquent, very good at teaching. But then because of that, just allowing sin, one sin after another sin and after another sin, that compromise with sin. He sadly is now in a homosexual relationship, married to another man. And he publicly now tells other people, this is good. People can be hardened. Don't, don't think you can't get there. People can be so hardened. And that's why sin is very dangerous. If you get nothing, if, if you don't get anything from this guy who is standing here in the front, get this. Sin is very dangerous. It's a very sticky trap. You will get yourself here. But then, look at what James says after that. The final, or what he, we see as the concluding part of sin, or of temptation, in the anatomy of temptation. Triggering sin, birth of sin, maturity of sin. Temptation now leads to death in sin. Their eye, their eye, the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. The ruin by the desires, this ruin. Something has happened to Adam and Eve that has changed them. Something has changed fundamentally in the relationship between Adam and Eve. Something has changed between them and something has changed between them and God. Adam realizes he's naked and he needs to hide himself from his wife. Eve notices that she's naked and she needs to hide herself from her husband. And as you will read Genesis, they now realize that they are naked and they need to hide themselves from God. Something has happened. Death has happened. Many theologians would say the, 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 the warning of God, you shall surely die takes place here. It is not simply that when they have physical death, this is the death that God was talking about. There is, they've lost something. They've lost God's covering. They are now ashamed. They are now fearful. They are now trapped. They're just awaiting death. And this might take time, but it will come. 
You see, for example, what uh, is it? What Tim, Peter says to Tim, uh, sorry, Paul says to Timothy of the sins of others. Um, is it First Timothy five? Um, let's see. Um, uh, yes, First Timothy 5 and verse 24. The sins of some are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins, the sins of others appear later. And he's talking to people who, about people who are in church. Possibly even talking about people who are leaders in the church because the context is he's talking about elders, isn't it? And he's saying some might hide their sins. Some might be seen, like the, the example of the man I give. Others will be seen on judgment day where we see that ruin. Depart from me, I never knew you. And you'd be wondering, what? This man wrote so many books. I mean, this man went to so many conferences. This man did this and that and that. He's lost the ruin, the damage of, of sin. So that's the anatomy of temptation, enticement of desires, leading to action, leading to comfort or ease, and then finally, ruin. It, either, it will either lead to physical death, or it will lead to now the second death. Someone being cast away from the presence of God. And the thing we need to learn from this again, you can hide your sins. You can hide one of these steps. Eh? But I would say at least these two will be, this will come out. This one will come out. This one will be seen. Whether here or in the life to come. That's how dangerous sin is. And that's why, again, we need to guard ourselves. And we need to pray that the Lord would guard us from temptation. And when we are tempted, we be very, very careful. Now, I can see my time has gone, but I wanted quickly for us to look at something. Uh, I've given the nini there. So, is it sin to be tempted? I had already answered this. Uh, is it sin to be tempted? Let me hear from you. No, okay. Aha. Uh -huh. Give give supporting verse. I agree. Amen. That's what I have put there. Eh? Right? Did you did you see the PowerPoint? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so temptation is not necessarily sin. Right? To be tempted is common to men. We see that Christ is tempted in every way in Hebrews 4.15, but he is without sin. We see someone like Joseph is tempted, right, in the house of Potiphar. Does it mean that he sinned? We don't see the Bible saying that, isn't it? When we capitulate, to sinful desires. And unbelief comes into our heart. 
And this is where sin actually starts. When you are tempted, and then unbelief. Now, unbelief is not sin. Before even we get to the action, I would actually say the point of unbelief is the point of sin, not the point of temptation. When that temptation brings unbelief, you've already pulled the trigger, even if we don't see the action. When you start now thinking like Eve, wow, look at that. It's so good. It's so helpful. You know, if I just get that one brown envelope, if I can just get that one bribe, I will not take it again, Lord. You know, just, you know, Lord, you, you understand, Lord, I, I have school fees to pay. My mom is sick and she needs this uh, surgery. And, and, you know, even the church needs to fix the, the parking lot. Just one envelope, Lord. When you, when you are there, that's the point. That point of unbelief where you're no longer trusting in God to provide for you. Where you're no longer trusting in the word of God. Oops, you've already gone. But when you are tempted, and you actually now look to the Lord, and your, your belief, rather than unbelief, now you go into more faith in God, and you say, yeah, that envelope could uh, solve my problems, but it would dishonor God. I know that getting that brown envelope with all that money could really solve my problems by tomorrow. But I will trust in the Lord. I will endure. I don't know what I will do with my mom. I don't know what I will do with my children's school fees. But I will trust you, Lord. Even if I get kicked out of the house, even if my kids get kicked out of school, even if things with my parents or my, my mother who is sick get so bad and I have to face that sad reality of losing her. Lord, it shall be well. And you trust in God. Then, as we saw, oh, sorry, as we saw in the beginning, this is now a trial. You choose the trial way. It is difficult. It is painful. But it is to test and it is to strengthen your faith. And that's what we see, for example, with Christ. That Christ is, is told, you know, turn rock into bread. Jesus, what could be so wrong? The devil didn't tell him, turn, turn that rock into, into a crate of beer, isn't it? Just bread. Jesus, come on. You are hungry. Bread. It's only wheat. But Christ says no. Ah, no. Man shall not live by bread alone. I will not live by bread alone. I know I need bread. I really know I need that. I, I know I need rent. I know I really need to feed my family. But Man shall not live by bread alone. I'll be kicked out. I'll be a mess. People will laugh at me in shags and say, look at this guy. He used to be very wealthy. He used to, be, he used to do very well in Nairobi. 
But because he is very straight, look at him now. Choose that path where you say, I will trust in God. I will endure the trials. I will endure the sufferings. But then I have another question. So this one I'll not give you a leakage. So let me ask you this. Eh? Where is God in temptation? Where is God in times of temptation? As we conclude. Yes. An invigilator. So God is like an invigilator. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, interesting one. Yes. There's a question from Mark Mujivani. Oh, there is a question. Yes. Please ask. And then I'll. Yes. So he says, mm. Thanks, Percy, for your labors. Mm. If temptation is evil desire, does that mean that the Lord had evil desires? Mm -hmm. And what do we make of the Lord saying that, that out of the heart comes evil desires and this makes a man unclean? Okay. So, thanks. Uh, so, Christ was tempted, uh, and we, we see that we, temptation is those evil desires, right? So, if you look at the chart I used, I said that it is those enticement of evil desires. Now, one thing we need to know about Christ is that there was no evil in him. That's actually the reason why he says the devil found nothing in me. There is nothing that he found in me that he could use to excite him to sin against God because he was pure and he was holy. But he was nonetheless tempted. We can't escape from that fact. Um, how theologians, some theologians have tried to deal with that is the, uh, using his needs of uh, you know, his bodily needs that were human needs, right? Uh, sometimes that's where the devil gets us. It's those good needs. It's not that he even, many temptations are actually not about, uh, you know, necessarily immorality. They're about things that are good. You need, you need a house. You need a shelter. You need to pay rent. You need to eat food. So those, quote-unquote, good things, can be used to draw us away. So that's what the devil was looking at, aiming towards the needs of Christ, the human needs of Christ, to then make him to sin against God. But then Christ was pure. He is not like us in that way. But then Hebrews tells us that he was like us because he was tempted. Uh, again, that's another profound... Uh, wonderful reality that, again, we need to expound and we need to look at more. Uh, thanks, Mark, for that question. Um, yes. So, is there another one before I move on? 
Iya. Iya. Hmm. There is no sin without goodness. Hmm. Sin hmm. is the desire of good things and getting them on the on the wrong way. Aha, okay. Hmm. So evil was not created by God. Mm-hmm. But man having been given freedom of choice so that he can be independent. Mm-hmm. If he does not exercise that uh, 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 quality of being independent and free choosing, when he chooses the wrong thing against what has been established, that's when sin comes. Okay. So that uh, in the final analysis, mm. even in temptation, is that we are always faced with temptations wherever we go. But God requires of us to choose the right thing and ignore the bad ones mm. in, in his own. Okay. That's why we are rewarded for being upright. All right. Thanks. This is why Joseph mm. is rewarded mm. because he was faithful. It, it doesn't mean that he was not a man like me or mm-hmm. like you, mm. and he could have yielded to the temptation. Mm. But in fact, it was very enticing. Ha- having gone bed with the, with the wife of the key, of, of the of the father, mm. that would have meant a lot of things for him. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, he knew, I will not do that because first, scripture, my, my, my God tells me it's wrong. It's called mm. adultery. He actually says, how can I sin against God and my master? You see, he yeah. says against God, not even against, against mm. master first. Mm. Do you see the same principle or theme mm. with, uh, with uh, 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 David when he is with, uh, conf- he sin with Bathsheba. confessing mm. uh, in Psalm 51, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yeah. So you wonder, he, Uriah, he did all these things. Actually, he got exposed to Joah, mm. but he's not saying he sinned against those people. Because mm-hmm. he knew he broke the, role, the, the rule of God, and that is a sin against each and everything. Mm. Each and everybody, each and everything that is created. Okay. So it's interesting. Thank you. Sorry for taking a lot of your time. It's okay. It's okay. I think he said something uh, yeah, that is... Uh, helpful in this way that when oftentimes temptation is that that there is something good now i will I, I will even want you to go and do your own study about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil many commentators would put it that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created by god right and man would have had that tree but not at that time. Because there is nothing wrong with the knowledge of good and evil. But for this time, you are not supposed to take off that tree. You don't achieve the knowledge of good and evil by your own grasp. You don't take it by your own hand. You allow God to give it at his own time. Now, I've put that there to stimulate your thoughts. Go and read more about it. I know there are different views. There are those who would say that tree was... No, 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 no. But then if you look at the Bible, the knowledge of good and evil is spoken as something good. 
It's only that they took it at the wrong time. For example, two people who are dating, right? If they have uh, intimacy at that time, it is sinful, isn't it? But when they have it when they are married, it is good, isn't it? So they would have waited on God and God would have, in his own good time, given them that. So uh, there is this good, but we must also achieve a good through the means of God. So temptation also comes through that, that we think we can achieve a certain good by using our own means. Like a man called, a man I've been preaching through, First Samuel, who did, who tried to use shortcuts. Soul, isn't it? He's told, destroy the Amalekites, destroy everything, but he says, I will preserve this so that I can sacrifice them to God. God had not commanded him to do that. You're trying to achieve, quote-unquote, good without following uh, that which God has set out. So it seems I'm out of time, so we'll not be able to look at where God is, but ask yourself that question, and hopefully when I come back, um, Pastor Eric will be taking us through the next session. I don't know, maybe he could be the one doing it. I could share some of my thoughts. We'll see what to do. But just, I would want you to research on your own. Where is God in the time of temptation? Sasa? All right. There's a question. One burning one, eh? All right. What difference do we have between trials and temptations? Okay. Uh, the difference between trials and temptation. The... They are actually the same, they are, it's actually the same word. We've seen that, eh? It's the word, let me see all of my skiza. the word? Eh? Peristalsis. <laughs> Perismos, silio. So they're actually one word, but then you know, you, you will know which one is temptation, which one is trial, looking at the context. So trials are meant to, uh, they are troubles, they are testings that force us to grow in our faith. Temptations are tests that are meant to cause us to turn away from God or to go into this uh, unbelief. Uh, I hope I've explained that. Eh? Yeah. Uh, because of time, let's uh, pray. Eh? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. We have seen in your word that you are the God who has given us the truths of how we ought to live lives that please you. Um, and, O oh Lord, when we look at your word, we see that we have fallen. We have fallen short. We have allowed temptation of various kinds into our hearts and our lives, and we have sadly even fallen into them. Please forgive us. Forgive us of our points of unbelief, whether it would be in our speech, our attitude, or even our own actions, dear Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, that we would not be tempted even to achieve good by using means that are not appointed. Keep us from this temptation. Help us, O oh Lord, to await 
for those things that are good by the means that you have appointed. And, O oh Lord, we pray that for those things that are actually meant to be trials, help us to endure them, to turn away from the temptations that entice our desires, and let us turn, O oh Lord, to endure hardship and to rejoice in hardship in the trials of this life. Please preserve us. Please watch over us. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much.